Hi, I'm Jake Hanrahan from Popular Front, and you're listening to the Just Checking In podcast. guys how are you all doing welcome back to another episode of the just checking podcast this podcast is brought to you by vents a place where everyone but especially men and boys can open up about their mental health issues break down stigmas and start conversations you know who it is it's me freddie cocker your host as always each pod i check in with a very special guest we have a natter about all things mental health as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about if it helps that person with their mental health we discuss it At time of recording, the war between Ukraine and Russia has been, for some of us, the main thing occupying our minds on a day-to-day basis. We may feel a sense of anxiety when we wake up in the morning to check how the war is going, read the latest comments that President Putin or President Zelensky have made, or what town or city has fallen under Russian occupation, or, as we now know, has been shelled indiscriminately, forcing people out of their homes and men to take up arms. I should also point out that, despite the anxiety some of us might be feeling, Absolutely none of it compares to the mental anguish, trauma and daily fear that the Ukrainian people still living in the country are facing. In this week's episode, I'm checking in with a Ukrainian journalist called Sergei Slipchenko, who was forced to evacuate his home with his wife and two children and escape to Toronto in Canada. Sergei currently works as a political reporter for the Kyiv Independent and previously worked for the Kyiv Post when he was working in Ukraine before the war began. In this episode, we discuss his roots into journalism, the mental health impact of writing about Ukraine and the war on a daily basis, and imposter syndrome. For Sergei's mental health, we talk about the trauma of seeing his country and his life turned upside down through the war, Ukrainian attitudes towards mental health, and how he believes he and his wife may have undiagnosed ADHD. We also talk about some eating disorder symptoms that they've experienced too. So this is how my check-in with Sergei Slipchenko went. Sergey, welcome to the Just Checking Pod. Thank you very much for coming on and taking the time to let me check in with you. I heard your episode on Popular Front with my good mate and friend of the pod, Jake, and I was really keen to get you on and amplify your voice and this story for not just the people listening who don't know about the conflict, but obviously people who might be involved and just kind of do my bit, essentially. I know it's a very small part, but do my bit as much as I can. How are you getting on, mate? Uh, yeah, I'm good. You know, much better in Toronto. I mean, it's a lot safer. Yeah. Uh, I'm still trying to do my part, you know, working every day. We're taking the night shifts. Uh, well, like, key of night shifts. But yeah, we're good. Settling in. Again, much calmer. <laughs> I can imagine, mate. And that's really good to hear. I know the time we are living in must be incredibly difficult for you, but I'm really thankful to you for sharing your story. So without further delay, let's start the show. Let's start the pod by talking about your journey into journalism, Sergey. So why don't you tell the listeners why you became inspired to be a journalist or found this niche where your love for writing or storytelling started and the journey to where you are today, basically? So I think it was kind of like a mix of things. I always liked reading. I always enjoyed following news events. Uh, I think my biggest push towards it was in um, 2013 uh, when Ukraine, uh, the Maidan revolution happened. It was, uh, you know, like <clears throat> news on 24-7 at home yes in canada here just following it along uh everybody's talking about it in my family and uh it was a big event for ukrainians everywhere obviously a massive event in ukraine itself i think additionally to that it kind of gave um almost like a renaissance of ukrainian uh, culture and stuff everybody started you know being much more proud of being ukrainian ukrainian um the shavanka mm-hmm. the traditional shirt became popular and things like that and from that i got more interested in um reading about politics reading about the news coming in from Ukraine. You know, of course, then Russia invaded Crimea and uh, eastern Ukraine. So that also piqued my interest. Around the same time, I took political science in high school, and those were topics that we were covering. I really enjoyed it, and uh, I also enjoyed history, so I kind of leaned towards more like literature courses, I guess. From there, I went to university. I wasn't sure what to do. I was between a lot of things. In uh, grade 11, we had co-op, which is like you do like an internship in high school to kind of see what you're interested in. I actually was leaning towards like law enforcement. Mm-hmm. I did a couple months working as like with like security, but they're like pretty similar to like police officers. 
from there, uh, then I was thinking law. I was more like, <laughs> it's hard to say, I was thinking it was kind of like I was encouraged to pursue something like that. You know, my parents immigrated here in, uh, to Toronto in 2007. My dad was an engineer in Ukraine, but here he had to work as, um, uh, he installed windows, uh, you know, like very, very hands-on, difficult job, you know, cold winters, really hot summers. He's always outside working. And my mom also went uh, between like, I think it was like two jobs and studying. Uh, she was a doctor in Ukraine and she, she became a nurse here. They kind of wanted us to, me and my sisters, one's older, one's younger. They wanted us to pursue a career where we can be, you know, comfortable and have a easy living and not have to work as hard as they did. I think that's kind mm. of their biggest like concern for us, you know, kind of have a secure future as I'm sure anybody wants for their kids. So I was always pushed towards a lawyer or something similar, which I found interesting, you know, like I, I, I could see myself doing that, but also I think it kind of, it kind of bored me doing <laughs> those kind of things. Um, I took, um, I don't know if it's exactly a law course, but it was kind of, it was like political science with law. I found it interesting, but I also couldn't imagine myself doing that for a living. And the first couple of years, I was just in a university for political science. I want to take a break and kind of save up money, try to move out, that kind of thing. But my mom was like, no, 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 like you have to go to university now. If you don't go, you, you won't go, you know. I don't exactly regret it. I mean, it's hard to say, but um, I did enjoy political science. I went in 2015, it was my first year. And then I went three, four years, I guess five years. It was on and off. And then I did it consistently for the first three years. And then there's a lot of things happening. On one year, we had a massive strike where basically all the courses for that year, uh, we could drop them because we just couldn't do work. We couldn't hand in things. The staff went on strike and basically the courses got canceled. Mm. So I went for three years, but one year kind of got canceled. Then the following year in 2018, I did pretty well. 2019, I had trouble with uh, mental health again and I dropped out. Basically along there, I was doing political science and enjoying it, but I could kind of tell like, or I guess it's more that I couldn't tell if I'm enjoying it or not. It was like, I enjoy doing this, but is this something I want to do for a living? Mm. And around then I found um, a newspaper for uh, our school. They do like print news. And I just picked it up and I was looking around and I was like, this is interesting. I was thinking like, maybe I can do this. And then I saw the, at the back of the page, it says like, you know, volunteers wanted like email and uh, you can like work with us or whatever. So I, I did like two or three pieces. That was 2018. I published uh, some pieces on it. I really enjoyed it. But then midterms came and then finals came and I kind of forgot about it. Came back in 2019, September. Uh, again, I uh, was much more proactive, volunteered on a more regular basis. And then in 2020, February, I think, I looked at the newspaper and it was like sports editor wanted. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, like I can, I can do that. So I wrote in and they're like, well, actually it's too late for this year. Cause how it works is you get hired in, uh, all the way in like May mm -hmm. and then you will work for the September until next May. So they're like, it's way too late to do any kind of contracts to pay you. And I was like, I was like, okay, well, what if I take the position without the pay? I'll do the work basically. I'll get the position, but I just, I won't get paid. And I'll like, I won't sign any contracts. And they're like, if you're okay with that, like, sure, we can figure it out. So I worked for 2020, uh, the first, like, like the last half of that semester. I worked for three months, I think. I went for an interview, I got hired. And around this time, I also took a journalism mm -hmm. course, a sports journalism course. And I really enjoyed it. It was like, I think the first course where I was really like, wow, like I'm really enjoying this. I'm really liking it. The main project was find somebody from like the university sports team, interview them, do like a story on them. And I was like, well, that's kind of boring. Like, that's, uh, you know, Cause he, the professor would be like, oh, okay, here's a list of uh, teams that I, that like I talked to, they'll give you all the accreditation. You can go like the coach will pull outside a player. And I was like, like, that's, that's boring. <laughs> I don't want to do that. So I was like, Hey, actually first I went, uh, I messaged the, there's a local boxing tournament going on and I was like hey can I come and uh, just take photos and uh, talk to some uh, participants and like in exchange they'll give you the photos for free and they're like okay sure so they accredited me I forget what it's called but it's it's pretty well known like an amateur boxing tournament there was a lot of Olympic uh, what are they called uh, candidates mm -hmm. a lot of professional boxers it was, a, it was a mix of everything and I came up to my professor and I'm like hey so could I do like something else like not the university uh, teams and he's like uh 
He's like, well, it takes a long time to get approval. I'm like, I have approval. I'm going next week. He's like, oh, he's like, okay. He's like, um, just make sure they sign all these. Like, he gives me like a bunch of papers that it's allowed that the university's not fault on anything. He's like, it's like you already had this planned. I'm like, yeah, I already. It's I'm like I think I think it was like a month before. I'm like, I already had it ready. He's like, okay, sure. He's like, he's like, good job, good job. He's like, uh, he's like, I didn't expect that, but good. Uh, so yeah, I did that. It was it was really great. It was three days, I think. It was like um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It was like an hour or two hours away from me, but like I made the trip there. I think I went two out of three days. Oh no, I went all three days, and it was like you know like a tournament. So the first day was kind of was kind of like the first matches, and then going down to the final matches, and I got to talk to some Olympic candidates. It was a great experience. I loved it. Taking photos, um, working with a lot of people, got to network with some people from uh, all over Ontario. It was great. And that was kind of where I was like, you know, I think I really do enjoy journalism. I think that was probably the biggest thing that pushed me towards it. I mean, I was already like trying to get a sports editor position, but I was still kind of like, I don't know. I think I like it. It, it was much more like for the York newspaper. It was very concentrated on the university, which I found kind of boring, you know, like student problems, things like that. I was like, uh, okay, like I'll do it for, uh, you know, to have some kind of portfolio, but I didn't find it too interesting. And then doing this kind of showed me like, yeah, I enjoy doing it. It was kind of, you know, not the kind of job my parents wanted for me, like an easy office job, get paid regularly, but it's something I truly enjoy and I get satisfaction from it. At this point, I was already, I was already with my wife, girlfriend at that time. She was really encouraging. I mean, we already had a kid at that point. Yeah, we already had our second kid actually. And she, you know, she was like, you like, go like, take as long as you need, like figure it out. Like she was super supportive, definitely a massive part of any of my success, I think. And yeah. And then I went to Centennial, Centennial College for Journalism while working as sports editor, tried to finish that. Uh, the first semester I was doing really well in the beginning, then things kind of started piling up. And, uh, by February or January of 2021, at this point, I dropped out a big part was financial. They wouldn't give me funding mm -hmm. and I just couldn't afford it. I dropped out of that then. Yeah. And then until then I, I was just working and I had to switch to medical administration mm -hmm. basically. Then I made, you know, worked there for a couple of months, but while working there, I worked on like Upwork, like freelancing, uh, just whatever I could. I wrote whatever I could. I wrote like guest pieces, like, uh, sorry, like guest pieces, like volunteer pieces for free for different places, did whatever I could on freelancing. And yeah, just uh, I'll do it during breaks. Uh, sometimes I do it during work, you know, quietly pull up a tablet <laughs> and uh, type away. Then in August 2021, me and my wife were kind of like, we were good. We were living by ourselves. Uh, it was nice. But also at the same time, we couldn't really see ourselves going anywhere from there. And we were like, you know what? What if we go to Ukraine? I have family there. And my wife was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And then in a month or so, I think it was September 3rd, she brought up the idea and september 23rd we were in ukraine in between that time i i saw posting in kiev post they were like what was it um culture reporter mm -hmm. or something like that oh lifestyle reporter and i was like okay why not i messaged them i'm like hey like here's my portfolio i'm coming to kiev in a couple of weeks um i like to apply you know like i went to school here did this blah 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 it was a back and forth first the editor last letter replied to me she's like yeah we'll, we'll be interested but like uh, our chief editor wants to talk to you that never happened he just never replied i guess <laughs> yes and then i was like hey guys like remember me <laughs> and she's like oh yeah, yeah are you in kiev i'm like yep and she's like okay come in next week and then she's like actually we're busy coming the week after i'm like okay so i came in talked to them they're like what are you interested in like why do you want to do this you know they're like do you know anything about ukrainian politics i'm like not really but i can learn <laughs> they're like oh okay like okay sounds good i'm like after that i came out i was like shit i don't know if they'll, they'll want me now you know <laughs> uh, i just couldn't really answer any like internal politics questions i was more interested in like geopolitics you know like it's kind of bigger picture mm -hmm. not internal stuff and i'm like crap they're not gonna want to take me now but no i got a i got a call back and they were like hey like write us a couple articles if we like them we'll publish them and uh, then you can come on so i think a week after it was like october 10th i started working and it was great i loved it I was an awesome, it was great going from a, like a university, barely funded little establishment to the Kiev Post. Uh, I followed it since like the Maidan revolution, uh, you know, the war in East Ukraine. It was like the go-to source. Uh, I remember doing like projects based on their articles and stuff. 
and then to you know see my name and on the website itself and uh, publishing articles uh, it was pretty crazy and then a month later in october in november 8th when everything just got shut down it was like oh <laughs> i remember the day off i came in and you could feel the mood and everybody's just kind of like what's going on you know and uh, you could see our chief editor, who's usually like a jolly guy. He's he's kind of walking around with his head down. He came in late, which was unusual. He kept on delaying our, uh, it was like a weekly meeting on Mondays. Mm-hmm. He kept on delaying it, uh, delayed it by like three hours. He finally came out again, visibly like very down. And he announced like, we're seizing operations today. And it was kind of like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind of felt like it was, definitely, I don't know, dream job at that point but it was definitely i was at the dream workplace mm-hmm. <laughs> coming from like i didn't get to finish journalism uh, school I, I didn't really do much past the university newspaper it definitely felt defeating a bit and then to finally get this job it was like okay like i'm on the right path and then a month later it's like nope it's gone you're all fired it's very confusing yeah. and very emotional but then the team really quickly got together and they were like, screw the owner, let's start our own thing. And that's how we started the Kiev Independent. And uh, I think it was like less than two weeks we were publishing newspaper, not newspaper, sorry, um, newsletter. Uh, we were sending out a newsletter. Then like a week from that, we had a website up and we had uh, a bunch of donations from just uh, our readers, you know, the community, investors, things like that. It just started taking off and we were like, great. And then uh, I remember we had a meeting in January where we're like, okay, we're kind of on track. We have everything figured out for the most part. Now we need to hit goals. And we're like, okay, we want to hit like, I don't remember, it was like a thousand or, oh, I think it was like, we want to hit 50,000 followers on Twitter by the end of the year. We want to meet this goal, this goal. And then, you know, the war started and we just blew up because we were the only English publishers out of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And it just blew up and like, well, I don't even know like what amount of times it multiplied a lot (laughs) yeah we went from from thirty thousand to now 1.8 million followers and it's just crazy Mm. now uh, i'm a political reporter now just what i wanted to be at kiev post i was just like uh, whatever comes up (laughs) kind of thing like whatever nobody else wants to do i write which is still great i mean i was more than happy but i mean going from that i think that almost like restructuring brought everybody closer you Mm -hmm. know i went from not really knowing anybody at the office to becoming part of the team I yeah. think it really helped. Before we talk about the men's health impact of writing about the war, Sergey, one thing you were keen to talk about in this part of your journey is imposter syndrome. And you said to me off air that you would often think, when am I going to find out I don't belong here? So can you just expand on that for me and, and how or why imposter syndrome has taken hold in recent months or years or in the past? I think I had it a long time ago. I mean, I think even in university, in university, it was either I enjoyed the subject and I was really into it, or I just couldn't care, couldn't get into it at all. And I just like did my best to show up, but you know, it, it was hard. But when I was interested, I would try to, you know, read all the articles, read all the assigned work. But then even during discussions, I felt like I want to answer, but, and like, I feel like I know the answer, but I'm like, no, no, no way. Like I'm either not smart enough or I probably I'll get it wrong. And then somebody will answer what I was thinking. And I'm like, shit, I should have said that, you know, and that carried over into, into journalism. It's like, not so much in York. I think at York, I felt like, yeah, like it's a, it's a university newspaper. Like, I think I'm okay. I still kind of felt like, oh, like the editors will find out that I don't know what I'm doing. You know, that kind of, uh, it was much more subtle, but then coming to the mm-hmm. Kiev Post again, it was kind of, to me, it was like, wow, like this great publication. Uh, and it was, you know, it, it was like uh, 26 years uh, running in, uh, in Ukraine biggest like english publication in ukraine very well known won awards so to me it was like wow like it's amazing even like during the interview the whole process i was like i hope they don't find out you know like (laughs) i don't know what but i hope they don't find out that i'm not good enough or whatever i can't tell what exactly it is or it's not like i'm like oh they'll find out this like that i'm lying or something because like i told them i I told them like i didn't finish uh, journalism school you know i told them about that like i wasn't hiding anything but still i was like They'll find out something. It's not, it's not tangible, you know. Just that I don't know enough, that I'm not good enough, that that like I'm just not as good as someone else or whatever. Always definitely followed me and got more intense being of like these are people whose articles I used to read and like look up to, and now I'm working alongside them. So it's pretty crazy for me to have that big step, you know. I always thought like yeah, I'll go into journalism and you know like I'll work at some little newspaper maybe in Toronto or whatever, like some local thing, and then make my way up. But like the Heo Post was like, 
step four or something for me, you know, whereas I felt like, you know, your university newspaper, then a little better, a little better, and I'll make my way up. And then to kind of skip those steps, it kind of felt like, do I deserve it? Am I kind of worthy of it? I guess. I think one big thing that has helped me, I've been following Jake since, I don't know, I, I know his first episode of Popular Front, and I was already following him. I think that's 2018, but I'm not sure. And knowing his story where he hasn't had any kind of background in the university or anything for journalism kind of pushed me like, there are people that are doing it this way. And I think maybe, like, if you can show your work, you can uh, make your way through this career. And that's kind of what helped me push me forward. Mm. The war has impacted the whole of Ukraine and its people in so many ways, Sergei. And as a journalist having to write about the war on a daily basis, what impact has it had on your mental health whilst you were in Ukraine when you could physically feel, see and touch the consequences of it? And how has it affected you now that you're back in Toronto being a bit more detached from it? I mean, even before the war started, it was extremely tense. I'm the one writing the news about what's happening. So I'm always staying up to date and it's like troops increased or Russian troops moved here or there. And it's like, oh shit. Okay. I also studied political science. So it's kind of like one of my favorite courses was on uh, like war theory or whatever, how wars start. And you're kind of leaving it and you're like putting pieces together and you're like, oh shit. It was really stressful. Again, before the war, it was, it was like constant thought of like, what do we do? Do we just keep living as normal? Do we start making plans to leave? I remember it was like February 20th or something. I had to pay for my kid's daycare and I was like, do I pay for it? It was a significant sum. It was basically, it was for the year. I was like, do I pay it? Do I wait? Because, you know, I have no idea when it's going to happen. So like it could have happened the next day. It could have happened uh, in a week. It could have not happened at all. And I was like, do I pay? Because it was either I make this payment and it's all good with the school, but then I'm left without money that I may need to leave the country. Making that payment brought me very low in funds. Luckily, we had some cash put away. But other than that, we pretty much had no money. And that was the decision I had to make. You know, I, I paid it. And then like less than a week later, the war started. And I was like, shit. <laughs> like, I hope I, I have enough money to get out, you know. And it was kind of those kind of thoughts um, like every day, you know. It's not something I wanted to say, not something I wanted to share. But even like, do we need this much groceries? Are we going to need it a week from now? Are we going to need this thing a week from now, you know. And we actually... Mm ended up leaving with a lot of stuff in our fridge, you know, and we're kind of like, shit. But it's like, who knew, right? Who would have thought this would mm. happen? And before the war, that was the mindset for a while, for like, I'll say since, I think January, is it going to happen? And it affected, like, daily choices. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, we, uh, every night going to bed, uh, just, like, one last check, make sure there's <laughs> the war hasn't started, you know? And I go to bed, and I'm like, I wake up, and I'm like, God, I hope. Nothing started. I hope there's nothing going on. And that time I woke up and like, kind of woke up. I couldn't say that I heard an explosion. It was kind of like, I woke up and I'm like, something's wrong. Like, I can feel something's not right. I looked, it's like 5.20, I think, 5.20 a.m. And I was like, something's not right. So I check my phone and I see the news, you know, Putin announces military operation or whatever. And my work chat is blowing up with editors and people just posting news and posting things that they heard and seen. And one girl, she lived, I think like, 30 minutes away from the airport that got bombed and she's like posted a photo of just like smoke coming up you know that's when I was like oh shit clearly something's happening that I'm like is this like an isolated incident is this like I don't know <laughs> it's like, I don't know like that it's did it really start it's kind of hard to accept and then I walk over to my kitchen window and I look out the main highway out of Kiev towards the west is right next to my house and I open the window and there's just there's just a pile up of cars just a constant stream non-stop of cars just going out of the city and, and like non and almost none going in and i was like yep <laughs> clearly people are leaving for a reason it was extremely stressful we just uh, i w went over to my wife it's and it's like i guess i don't want to stress her out or something i, I don't want to say you know the war started but i was kind of like i don't know what to say so I, was, I just shook her and i'm like pack her bags let's pack her bags and she's like oh okay and she got up you know i don't really say what the war started but i, I think she knew like mm. we need to get out because shit is going down I think it was uh, six at that point. It was around six. We packed our bags, put everything we could in, into like one duffel bag, packed a smaller bag per person, me, my wife, and our kids. Two girls, two years old and four, packed what we could. And yeah, we called a cab. I couldn't get anyone for a good hour or so. And then finally, a driver picked up. And uh, yeah, we got out. 
from Kiev, it took five hour or six hour drive through various back roads, through fields and stuff. We got to my grandparents who normally live like 50 minutes away. I tried to do some reporting from there. Uh, I have the, you know, we were doing like a 24 hour live updating of where things were getting hit, where troops were entering. Uh, that's also where I talked to Jake for that episode. We stayed there for two or three days and it was just constant stress. You know, you could hear my wife couldn't sleep at all. You could hear planes flying. I mean, who knows, maybe rockets, but you could hear things overhead. At that point, it was mostly like Kiev getting hit and bigger cities. Uh, but the day after we left, a city, a smaller city next to us got bombed. A couple of days later from that, the city, we were like on the outskirts, but that city got bombed as well. So it was just constant threat of like, well, what if uh, where we are is next, you know, like until we got out of Ukraine, it was just constant anxiety of like, is something going to get bombed? Is something going to get ha- is something going to happen? And there were reports of, you know, like Russian troops were getting in further into Ukraine, kind of like more covertly. Uh, there were reports of collaborators in all cities and things like that. So, you know, it was scary. Uh, there were even reports of like marauders or whatever, walking around, kind of using the opportunity of chaos to like break into houses and stuff. It was really stressful. And then finally, we got driven to the Moldova border next to the Vinitsa Oblast. And we crossed on foot. That was stressful. I wasn't sure if there would be a reason to not let me out. I mean, I am a Canadian citizen, but I was born in Ukraine and I did have Ukrainian citizenship before. I think how it works is if you're a kid, you're kind of like added to your parents' passport or something. So I never actually got like a personal passport. Regardless, when you accept like a different citizenship, you have to, I forgot what the word's called, like you basically cancel your Ukrainian one. Right, okay. I forgot the word. Don't Again, worry. Like, I got rid of my Ukrainian. So they kept us at the crossing point for a couple of minutes. Again, really stressful. And then they let us out and like we had to walk across this bridge because the border was like uh, separated by a river. And we were crossing and kind of like, oh shit, like we're out. Right as we get out of the car, we take our bags out. Me and my daughters and my wife were walking. We had to walk for like a kilometer or so because the car line was really long. Pedestrian crossing had no line at all so we're walking across and sirens start going off and we're like fuck like okay and you know our daughters are like what's that we're like don't worry about it like let's just keep walking and you know it's scary like i, I don't know what they're what they're planning you know like why the sirens are going off what's happening for all we know like maybe they're targeting civilians escaping or something you know there's there are stories of that happening especially now you know a lot of uh yeah. humanitarian convoys getting hit and mm. we were just like just walk faster like, let's just get out uh, across the border and I think that was when we finally for the first time in like almost a week yeah it was a week it was um, March 1st I think when we crossed out of Ukraine and that was the first time in a week where we just had this tension kind of leave for you know a brief moment it was still kind of like what the fuck are we going to do in Moldova but it definitely had this moment of like we're, we're okay for now I tried to help as much as I could we weren't in cities we were like in a smaller village so whatever I could connect and help out, I did. But for the most part, I just had no connection. And I really felt the guilt of like, I'm not doing enough. I'm not helping enough. You know, a lot of people stayed in Kiev. Uh, a lot of people just couldn't get out. And uh, I definitely felt guilty. But at the same time, my wife and kids were priority. Mm-hmm. And I was like, once I get them out, once they're safe, then I can focus on other stuff. Getting out to Moldova was uh, stressful, but it was a huge relief. And then from there, volunteers helped us. It was, it was great. They you know, fed everyone. And there was like maybe 100 uh, refugees. And there were constantly you know, new ones coming, previous ones shipping out. They're shipping out like uh, either taking a bus or volunteers were driving people. They drove us to Romania. And we got from from that border crossing to uh, Bucharest in 13 hours, I think. And then we stayed two nights and then made our flight to Tehran. I mean, now it's definitely feels much more removed, you know, definitely physically, emotionally, they're very much connected to it. You know, we're always staying up to date on the news. I'm working on it. It's stressful. It's really hard, you know, still having family there, especially. I'm just trying to do what I can, kind of do my part, you know, and uh, help the team. And I think in a way helping Ukraine through that. Oh, you're doing a great job, mate. I've got one more question before we move on to your mental health journey. So doing this journalism journey for as long as you have, what has it taught you about yourself? I think I always had a lot, like a lack of confidence and doubting myself. Even now, I'm kind of like, you know, not, how do you say it? Even now, I'm kind of like, do I deserve it? Uh, 
would somebody do better presenting with my opportunities, you know? But at the same time, when I look back at it, like, I remember in, like, 2018 writing to Jake, like, hey, man, I'd love to help you or whatever. <laughs> and then to actually, uh, he replied, like, hey, thanks, I'll keep it in mind. But uh, it's like, we're good for now. <laughs> and I was like, oh, like, one day, one day I'll, I'll, I'll meet Jake. And then to actually have him come and, like, work with him, that was, like, surreal. You know, I kept the cool with Jake, but uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was, I was like, holy shit. I had to keep it cool uh, as well. Especially, just, uh... Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially after I first met him, he just walked out of his apartment because, like, he didn't have connections. So I was like, well, shit, I can't reach him. He steps out of the apartment. And he's like, oh, Sergi. And I'm like, Jake. <laughs> he's like, yeah. He's like, come walk with us. I was like, okay. Yeah, so it was, it was, pretty, it was pretty crazy, you know. And kind of all these experiences, like looking back at them, it's like, I'm not where I want to be now where like, I'm like, yeah, I did everything I wanted to do. But I'm like, you know, like I did do a lot. And I think it's something to be proud of. Definitely helps with the confidence and being more sure of myself. And I think it's a gradual thing, but I'm definitely getting more comfortable with it. And I think having that confidence help, it reflects in everything, you know, even how you talk, how you interview, how you write things, being more certain of yourself. I think it helps a lot. And it really helped me grow in that way. I think it's, again, it's gradual, so I think it's going to keep growing. But looking at myself, even a year ago, it's a huge change and uh, change for the positive. You know, a year ago now, I was uh, dropping out of journalism school and kind of having a lot of financial troubles. And now I'm in a much, much better place. I mean, <laughs> I'd prefer to be in Kiev without a war. But, you know, all things considered, I consider myself very lucky and uh, I'm happy where I am. We've talked about Sergey, the journalist. Let's dive a bit deeper and talk about your own journey, Sergey. So firstly, I ask all my special guests this question on this topic. Walk me through early life, teenage years, and looking back, were there any early mental health experiences you had? Who's the Sergey we meet here? So when I was smaller, I think it kind of defines the rest of my years growing up. I had uh, very serious issues with asthma and allergies. I was mostly allergic to... I don't know exactly which trees, but there were some trees that were very common in Ukraine. And like when I was like spring and the pollen would spread, I had very itchy eyes, irritated uh, skin. I'd have a, like not no swelling or anything. It wasn't like anaphylactic level of uh, allergies, but it was really difficult to deal with. Another thing I was allergic to was dust, cats and feathers. Right. Yeah. So it, it really defined how I grew up, uh, you know, always had meds with me. My mom was extremely, I don't know what to call it. I mean, like she was to a certain degree overbearing, but like understandably, she was really worried about me. Always very careful, very overprotective of me. It's kind of like what I remember mm-hmm. from my childhood, you know. Definitely the first couple of years, probably until like five or six, I was very, very like protected, uh, overprotected. And then uh, it carried on when I was older, but when I was like seven or so, you know, my mom had a, my younger sister. She kind of naturally had less time to look over me, which it, I think helped me be more independent, kind of go out and play and do my own thing. And that was in Ukraine until 2006. So I was eight years old or so, about eight, nine. When we moved to Canada, a lot of my allergies passed. And my mom was more calm kind of about it and let go even more. I would go to the parks by myself across the street, which in Canada is like, oh my God, your kids are going to <laughs> At 10, I remember in Ukraine at like six or seven, we were playing construction sites and stuff. But yeah, you know, like I got my independence. I was still very like concerned, always uh, taking me to doctors. If it's not my allergies, it's something else. Always something that she needed to to check or make sure that I'm okay. Or, you know, I think there wasn't a month where I didn't go see some kind of doctor for whatever thing. And it was uh, regular doctors, uh, alternate medicine, Chinese medicine, always something, always something was happening. And she also tried to get me involved in some kind of, either sport or some kind of recreational activity which i could never keep up uh looking back might be related to my adhd but growing up that was never a concern it was almost having you know in ukraine having a mental illness it was something you hide something you're ashamed of like you don't want to admit it my mom's side is like oh they're gonna label him and they're gonna think he's stupid or whatever so i think in her own way it was kind of like protecting me because her own experience with um Mental health, you know, coming from the USSR, just wasn't a thing. It wasn't recognized. It wasn't treated. So I see that from her perspective. She was, you know, protecting me, worried about me and stuff. But it definitely had some lasting impressions in me. 
Also, when I was in Ukraine, I was uh, more sick. I was extremely skinny. Like, I think I was underweight constantly. And then coming to Canada, I started to gain weight. I started to look more my age, you know. But it was kind of like, so when I was underweight, she would constantly give me, like, you know, carbs and just make me whatever I want, like anything just so I eat, uh, which was usually like junk food, McDonald's, fries, pizza, spaghetti, <laughs> just anything to fill me up, you know. And then when we came to Canada, I think I think it has to do with how the food is processed here and stuff. Eating the same things, I just ballooned up. So I went from being underweight to a regular weight and then eventually becoming overweight for my age. And at first she kind of didn't care about it, but then I guess it started getting more noticeable. And it went the other way. Now it's, you can't have bread, you can't eat carbs or similar things. And it was like, I think for as a kid, it was kind of like, I didn't think about it as a kid. And now looking back, like, yeah, I think it was pretty confusing. Mm and hard to deal with also like you know i had junk food all the time chips and stuff like that all of a sudden it became like evil food you can't have it mm. it was never like that strict it was more of like uh, in passing she would say something or uh, but i think it stuck more with me than i realized something carried on to later years i remember in uh, grade eight or grade nine like high, high school age i would love to go out somewhere and get food because like i chose to get it and i wanted to get it and uh, it kind of became a bad habit of eating out a lot and stuff, which added to my weight gain. I was like uh, on the higher end of the scale mm -hmm. for majority of high school and university. Around when I met my uh, now wife, when I really started getting into shape, you know. <laughs> uh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> maybe not for the right reasons. <laughs> Perhaps not for the right reasons. I actually kind of got obsessive, I guess. I went for like two hours or three hours a day. It was like uh, university gym and then seeing my wife for the rest of the day and that became like uh, a schedule for five months maybe four or six months but yeah other than that i think i could see now i can see some things that i was growing up with it was like probably adhd again i i haven't been diagnosed so i don't want to say mm -hmm. yeah it's 100 percent. but i spoke to a psychiatrist who said it very likely is and seems like it is I believe my mom and sisters have it as well, to a certain degree. And looking at my wife's journey through ADHD, she also has it. She's been diagnosed. I see a lot of similarities to myself. Things like, if I didn't care for a subject, I would not learn it. I just, I wouldn't, I would try sometimes, maybe once a year. Yeah. So every couple of months, I'd be like, that's it. It's the finals. I'll try my best and like try for the whole night. And I'd be like, fuck it. Especially with math. But then <laughs> You'd lose interest like quickly history. then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was I was okay till grade eight or something, and then after when they started doing charts and equations and shit, I was like, "Fuck this." <laughs> um, and then any, if it's a subject I like, so history, uh, English, you know, things like that, I would really enjoy it. I'd really give it my all and try really hard in it. You could hyper focus. Looking them, back, basically. like yeah, 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 I could focus on that, and I really enjoyed it. Also, looking back, I think I dealt with anxiety. Probably some social things like I had a really hard time talking to people, people who weren't, weren't my friends. Making new friends was really difficult, uh, almost scary. I remember being like uh, afraid to talk to new people. Like I really didn't like it. Part of that, you know, I, I, I preferred uh, I preferred to be by myself. Mm -hmm. I like to play video games, uh, stay home and like I either watch something or play or read even. Just staying home was much more preferred. I mean, there was a, I had a close group of friends. And I would hang out with them all the time, you know. It's like uh, once you get to know me, I'm very different from what you might <laughs> see in like school or at work or something. And it like shows through, I think. Like a lot of people say like, oh, like you're different than I thought or whatever. Uh, a lot of time, like going to university, I kind of really care how I looked. Uh, I'd have like a grown out beard more or less and I'd dress more comfortable. And I think people kind of stayed away from me. But then like we'd get into a core project and like I kind of get to know them. And I'd be like, wow, you're really different than I thought. And I'm like thank you <laughs> like, <all right. laughs> um, a lot of things that looking back at it it's kind of like i can see or more than just because i would be like you know it's just how i am i'm lazy or i'm just not smart like i'm just too stupid to learn math or something and looking back it's like i think maybe if i had coping mechanisms somebody told me how i can deal with it i think it would have turned out differently but at the same time i mean i look back at it kind of like uh oh well that's what could have been. Uh, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not mad at anyone. I'm not sad about it. I just kind of realized that it's not that I'm that way, particularly that, you know, I'm not smart enough. I'm not whatever, but that it's 
because of these reasons that it turned out like this. You mentioned there that your wife also has undiagnosed ADHD, which is interesting as a couple dynamic for you both to have it. Has that made your relationship stronger or more supportive because you both actually understand this condition that you both have and some people don't really understand it at all so has that been helpful uh yeah for sure you know she had the same feelings of uh she's not smart enough is she just dumb uh you know sometimes supported by teachers saying like you're just not trying hard enough uh like you're smart but you're not you don't want to learn or whatever you know things like that and then like looking back on her um report cards uh, she actually was diagnosed with adhd Oh, okay. Yeah. So looking back at her report cards from like grades, I think it's like five through nine. It's always like, if she focused a little more, you'd do better. She does really well in subjects she likes, you know, and she was going through that. I think that was a moment for her where she was like, like, holy shit, like it's right there. Like they wrote it down. Like how did they not see it? Um, <laughs> it's like the checklist like of almost, things to almost, say to someone. with ADHD. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It was almost like reading like, like the, like word for word of like ADHD checklist, like, <laughs> she's reading it like i remember she broke down like like how could they not see this how could they not tell or like if they just taken me to to be checked out you know like this could have been avoided but i I think she has the same attitude like it's in the past it happened it's good to know now and it kind of just validated her like i'm not stupid i'm not this or that that's how my brain works that's how it is and yeah it definitely helps having uh somebody who understands you i mean i'd rather she not have to deal with that you know but now that we are in the situation, uh, it definitely helped uh, talk about it, kind of uh, discuss it and share our experiences with each other and helped kind of see like, first of all, it's not just you, you're not like some alpha or some freak or something like it is normal. It is something that happens because, you know, you hear like, oh, yeah, like this many people have ADHD out of population or whatever, but it's like, who, mm. uh, like, what is their experience? Like, I don't know them. Like, it's great mm. to hear a number that like you're not alone, but what does that mean? Or it's not really significant. So having somebody there really helped. And like I said, like, I kind of never thought that I could have something like that uh, growing up with that kind of Eastern European mindset of it's not a real thing. Or, I mean, I even I recognize like, like I never, it was never like, oh, it doesn't exist, but it just like, it could never happen to me kind of thing, you know? I think um, we all thought that when we had so, mental health issues back in the past when it wasn't a thing, didn't we? At some point, I'm sure. I think I'm probably sure I had that even though I went through massive, massive trauma. <laughs> yeah, I think like, it's like, well, it couldn't happen to me, you know? I mean, I never thought I would have to escape a country because of war, and then it happened. So it's kind of the same thing. It's like, yes, I, I know it exists. I know it's a really serious issue, but there's no way I have it or I'm dealing with it. Especially when, you know, p- people are telling you you're just lazy, you're procrastinating, you just don't want to do it, you just don't care. Like, you're just more interested in that or this. And it's kind of like, you know, you listen to that, you hear that, you have your own thoughts, and you're kind of like, yeah, h- how could it happen to me? So even... While we were together, she had a, a lot of issues with depression and stuff. And I was there to help her. I always prioritized her. And I was like, you know, my issues can wait. Whatever it is I have to deal with can be put on the back burner. And like, she was on who was like, you know, like, thank you for taking care of me. Like, you really helped me. But you have to look at yourself too. Because like, clearly you're having issues you're dealing with. Mm. And I think like, thanks to her, I was able to be like, oh yeah, there's something wrong. You know, mm. uh, there's more to it than I think or than I realize. That's a positive male instinct, though, um, isn't know. it? To protect others who are in need and then put your own issues aside. But then after that, you, we do actually need to sort ourselves out as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, I always think, like, I need to protect her. I need to take care of her first. I need to do everything for her to the point where I kind of put myself in an unhealthy way to the side, you know. Because at, at a point, it's like, how can I help her if I'm not doing good, mm. you know? Or my health is bringing hers down. Yeah. Thing. Um, you help her by helping yourself so, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because she told me, you know, like, uh, it's great that you're helping me, but like, I'm suffering watching you struggle, mm. you know? And that was kind of like, <laughs> in a roundabout way, I was like, oh, so if I take care of her, I'll help her. I'm like, okay, then, okay, fine. I'll <laughs> take care of myself. <laughs> if it helps her, I'll do it. I mean, like, I'm condensing six years, or like seven years now into, you know, a short explanation so there's a lot of things to say but basically we really helped each other i think maybe i wouldn't have come to any of these conclusions if not for her you know i mean maybe i would have been fine but i don't think i would have realized that i'm dealing with things that are beyond my control to a certain degree uh things that i just never looked at a certain way it's not like you know like i realized it and i'm like wow like i'm a changed man i know exactly what to do i know exactly how to take care of it but just having that perspective and looking back at all those years it's like oh okay i see <laughs> i see why i was like that 
it definitely helps in that way yeah and then working through it someone really helps before we talk a little bit more about ukraine mate i want to briefly talk about fatherhood because like you said earlier in the pod you became a father quite young you've got two children how has fatherhood changed you and shaped your mental health as you've gotten older so it was 2015 when i started dating my wife by 2017 september we had our first daughter so we found out i think it was 2017 like january we found out she was pregnant and uh, it was it was difficult you know like i told her like i'll support whatever you do but it's really hard for me to it's just first of all i felt guilty you know that it happened and then I was really scared. You know, everybody always says like, oh, you have a kid. It, like everything needs to stop. You drop everything, you know. I was kind of scared of that, of course. I was 18. No, I was 19 at the time. It was really scary. And it was a really pivotal moment in our relationship. She decided to keep it. And I was kind of scared of it. But like I supported her. Like I, I didn't want to leave her. You know, I wanted to be with her. I want to take responsibility and stuff. And uh, I, I just, uh, I think I loved her at that point. So I didn't really think about leaving her at all. It was more like, I'm kind of scared to take this journey. You know what I mean? There was never mm. a thought of like, am I going to stay with her? Or is this going to work out? It's just kind of, okay, like this is a new chapter that we're going to have to follow through. And it was just scary heading down that road, you know? Yeah, of course. Man. Uh, I mean, for the nine months, like while she was pregnant, it was still pretty surreal to me, you know? Uh, she was the one dealing with it. So I tried to support her as best as I could. Also, we told our families and my family kind of had like, oh, well, now you have to work. You know, but she was like, no, like, I want you to finish school. Like, I want you to do what you need to do to, like, be successful. Like, I don't want, I don't want us to interrupt your life. And, you know, she's pretty great herself. She's very selfless. She was kind of, like, saying, like, you decide as you want, but, like, I'm keeping the baby and stuff like that. Again, to me, I knew I was staying with her, you know, unless she mm-hmm. she decided otherwise. But I, I can see why she'd have doubts, you know. Like, you hear stories of, like, you know, teenagers always, like, getting pregnant and dad leaves or, you know disappears mm. from your life or whatever so i didn't blame her like i don't think like it was anything against me and just she was scared and she didn't know what was happening kind of thing you know but yeah i moved in in may in may we lived in her parents basement then in september we had our first girl evelyn she's turning five this year and yeah uh, it was difficult you know i was working uh i was working in the afternoons yeah uh, so i would go to school in the morning like i i could make my own schedule so i made it so i go to school in the morning and then at, I think it was at 2 p.m., I got to work, security guard. Then at 8, I finished and drove home. And that was basically the schedule for like a couple months. My wife had a really hard time after giving birth. She had a PPD, postpartum depression, maybe even psychosis. She had a really hard deal dealing with it. And not talking afterwards, she said she wished I was home instead of working. Because mm. like, we didn't really need the money. It was, it was more so like, everybody was like, well, now you have to work. You have to work. Like, you guys did this you have to work you know you know she said like she wished i'd stay home instead that's kind of one of my regrets i wish i was there for her more but again it it worked out and um i was going to school i was doing poorly because you know i was uh, the kid uh, helping my wife as much as i can working and kind of just a jumble of issues all at once uh, dealing with my own a lot of things about it probably depression and stuff just having a hard time in terms of that balancing you know like school work helping my wife and then my own family sometimes drama sometimes just you know dealing with everything and i was only 19 20 at this point it was difficult it was definitely really hard you know our relationship was fairly young we found out we were pregnant like just over a year i think it was a year and two months it was not even two years yet when we had our kid and it was difficult uh, i think the thing that kept us going we always tried to communicate always tried to talk things over we rarely fight i can't really think of a time like there's never been like screaming or like yelling never ever got physical nothing like that you know it's just like at most it's usually somebody like breaks down and it's like it's like i'm having a hard time because of this now we talk it over but definitely our communication has been getting better over the years i think it's the reason that we're still together and like together and have a good relationship now it's mm. much better you know uh even the second kid when we got pregnant with the second kid it was Evelyn wasn't a year old yet. It was, I think, August, and her birthday would be in September. When we found out well, my wife was pregnant with the second kid, but it was much better. You know, she communicated that she wants me to be home. She wants me to stay with her rather than work. You know, we were lucky enough to be living with uh, my parents at that point, uh, so we didn't really need to pay rent or anything. Our expenses were pretty minor. It's just like, you know, things we need for the kid or for ourselves. 
not very many bills to pay. And yeah, uh, second kid uh, was uh, much better. My wife was doing much better mentally, so was I. Still haven't really got through any of dealing with or talking about our mental health, but I think just things were easier. So, you know, mental health was easier to keep in check. Then we kind of started dealing with our mental health when we moved out by ourselves and we could be more retrospective about it and stuff. And that's when we started dealing with it. Throughout the years, we don't regret having our kid. Like, I think we're really happy to have our kids younger. We're planning to stick with two for the most part, I think. I think it was a positive thing, I think, to happen to us, you know, like, again, as it turned out, uh, I'm really happy I wouldn't change anything. I mean, having kids definitely difficult, uh, big responsibility, really changes everything. No more going out late, you know, things like that, the smaller things like that change, you know. For the most part, uh, it was a really positive, positive addition, I think, and we're happy where we are now. Going on to the war in Ukraine, just quickly before we reflect on this journey, You've answered most of the questions already, but do you have hope that you'll be able to return one day? And what do you think you'll find if slash when you return? Uh, yeah, actually, we talked about this with my wife already. And, uh, you know, it was even a couple of days after, before we left Ukraine, a couple of days after the invasion, I was like, it was a sensitive topic, but I was like, do you ever see yourself coming back? Like, is this something you want? And she, she was like, you know, I was thinking about it at first. She was kind of like, no, I don't want to come back. Like, there's too much negative emotions kind of thing. Well, you know, it happened like three days before. Then while talking about it, she's like, but you know what? Like, I thought about it. And I really loved the area. I loved where we lived. I loved our apartment. I just enjoyed living in Ukraine. And we'll definitely come back. We don't know when. You know, we don't know when the war is going to end. We don't know what that's going to look like. But we are hoping to come back and at least live a little bit more there. We were really looking forward to the summer, to the spring. You know, we want to take our kids to a lot of places. We wanted to see a lot of places ourselves. Definitely feels like an un- unfinished part of our life. So we want to go back there and uh, see it through, I guess. So let's reflect on your journey now, Sergi. So what has it taught you about yourself? And if you could go back and talk to the Sergi who was experiencing those financial difficulties at university or the Sergi who was struggling with undiagnosed ADHD in school or the Sergi who was contemplating having to leave his home and his life and everything he'd built in Ukraine. What would you say to him knowing what you do now? I think for myself back in high school and university, especially after after we got pregnant with my wife, I think I had this attitude of, you know, we got ourselves in this, so now I have to keep pushing, I can't stop, because like people will think poorly or people will think like, oh, how is he not working? You know, he has a kid on the way or he has a kid. But I think I should have talked to my wife more, like what does she need? I looked at myself like it doesn't make sense to work and study at the same time. You know, maybe I should either do one at a time and prioritize the more important one. I just wish uh, I was more introspective and reflected more on things because it was more of like keep going, keep going, keep doing to the point of burnout, you know. And yeah, like uh, I just think I wish I communicated better with my wife earlier. I wish I looked into more of what I wanted to do, not listen as much to people around me meaning like family and stuff like that. And besides that, I just think you need to set priorities and realize what's more important. Like, is it more important to burn out at university, but not give a semester or something for mental health or for even just physical health? I think I would have definitely done that, you know, maybe delay it by half a semester, but have a much better mental health. So kind of uh, ease up. And I think part of that would have helped. I was very like day to day, like what do I need to do today to get to tomorrow kind of thing almost like a, like a survival thing. But I think I should have taken a step back and be like, okay, well, where do I want to be in four years? If I had done that back in maybe 2015, 2016, uh, might have turned out better a couple of years down because, you know, I kept pushing, kept pushing, but that didn't help me succeed. I didn't finish university in those three years that I was supposed to, you know, because I kind of neglected my mental health and stuff. I think easing up and getting a better perspective would have really helped. For Sergi in Ukraine, I mean... That happened, uh, like, what, two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. I don't even know, three weeks ago? I don't know. I mean, uh, still kind of, still kind of feels surreal. Uh, like my wife was saying, uh, it almost feels like we've never been to Ukraine. Like, it, at one hand, it was such a big move, it was such a big deal. But on the other hand, coming back to Toronto, it almost feels like yeah, it was like a dream, in a good or bad way, however you want to see it. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to, what to add to that. 
Mm. Uh, just uh, it still feels very recent. So like, I think we handled it pretty well. We you know listened to ourselves, listened to our gut to get out of Ukraine while we could, and mm. uh, I think that was the best option for my kids and my wife. I wanted to get them out as soon as possible, and my relatives were saying like just stay here, it'll be fine. Uh, we were like no no like we need to get out, we need to go. And I'm happy that we listened to ourselves, which I think comes with like being more confident, being more sure of myself. Our final topic of conversation, Sergi, and it's one I try and have with all of my special guests, which is a general natter and chat about mental health. So firstly, I know circumstances, as you say, are really surreal and difficult. But how would you say your mental health is at the moment? Uh, it's pretty good. I mean, uh, all things considered... I think I'm doing better, you know, I'm taking it easier, trying to have a better balance of work and family life and stuff. It's much easier being here in Toronto, much more calm. So, yeah, there's no that pressure of conflict going on or even like a thought of conflict. Like I said, like, uh, yeah, the war started and that was extremely, extremely stressful. But even before that, there was a lot of anxiety over it. So there's definitely that sense of security here. Other than that, doing well. I mean, much better than past few years for sure i think talking about it having time to reflect on it think about it how the experiences that i had really helped get me to this point where i feel much more confident uh there's definitely still things i need to work on still things that i need to i guess dissect and look into to kind of better understand myself and what i went through but in general i would say i'm at the best place i've been in a while good to hear mate what age do you think you were when you became self-aware of your mental health for the first time and you realized that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind and a product of your mental health? I think it was some point through university, so around 18, 19. I just had an extremely difficult time getting work done. You know, it was uh, small assignments, big essays, like end of the year kind of essays. I would just have a difficult time and I'd like... I would just keep thinking, like, why can't I do this? Uh, why am I so lazy? Why do they keep procrastinating? It's when I kind of started to realize, like, maybe it's not that I'm just lazy because, like, I really want to get it done. I really want to do it. I really plan to. But then, like, a lot of thoughts, anxiety, a lot of mental blocks prevent me from doing it. And I started thinking, like, you know, maybe there's more to it. Maybe maybe it's depression or whatever it is. And that kind of got me thinking. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't like a snap. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, I have issues. It's just like a slow, progressive kind of start from around second year of university where I realized like maybe there's something else to it. And over the years, I came to realize it better. Can you tell me about the first conversation you had with someone about your mental health? So who was it with? What impact did it have? And did it feel like a big burden or moment or weight had been lifted off your shoulders? Or did it feel like something quite easy, insignificant and normal to do? No, it was a really big deal. I don't remember the first time exactly. It was definitely with my wife. I shared it with her, you know. Again, I don't remember the first time. We just had a lot of conversations about it, you know, throughout the years to the point where they're kind of jumbled together. But I do remember a sense of relief and uh, almost like clarity. It was like sharing it and, you know, I was thinking about it, but I haven't vocalized it to anyone. But saying it out loud I really did have a big, profound uh, impact. It was nice to share it. It was nice to have somebody be like, yes, I understand. They were like, that makes sense, you know. Uh, kind of validate me that that was definitely a big part of it. It was really a big relief. It was really difficult to bring up. It was really difficult to talk about. It was part of the, like I said, I couldn't possibly have it kind of thing, you know. It was almost like denial mm-hmm. that I could have something, uh, some kind of mental health issue. Uh, so vocalizing it and saying, like, I think I do or it seems like I do was um, was a really big moment for me and, like, it was a big relief, a big like weight off my shoulders kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And really opened the door to more discussions and more progress towards getting better. What things do you find in life that trigger your mental health? So it could be things people say to you, it could be a sound, sensation, social environment, or have you not figured all of them out yet? I mean, it depends for what, right? For anxiety, I feel like throughout university, I would say 99% of my work was finished in the last day before I submitted or perhaps even a couple of days after. Uh, so like deadlines or knowing that I have to, knowing that somebody's expecting me to submit work really stresses me out. Like it will stress me out days before, like, oh, did I give myself enough time? Did I start early enough? You know, is it going to get done on time? Uh, things like that really, really stress me out. <laughs> but because of that, I'm so stressed out. I have a hard time working. And while I'm not, uh, or rather, 
I just don't work. It's kind of like, well, I'm not working right now when I should be. I'm wasting this time. And then it's just a constant loop of I'm stressed. So I have a hard time working. And because I'm not working, I'm stressing out more. It's something I have a trouble dealing with. I think the solution to it that I found is, first of all, uh, break the work down into smaller components. Uh, having that kind of feeling of like, okay, I started and I have a path towards finishing uh, really helps because I don't feel as lost. In university, you know, it's like, write a 10 page essay, have this many sources, have this structure. And it's like, I open a, like a doc and I'm like, shit, where do I start? You know, that was stress me out and I just close it. So now like when I work in an article or something, it's like, okay, uh, what's the article? Like, this is the idea. Who am I talking to? Uh, what am I talking to? What's the point of the article? Breaking it down like that really helps. Even when I start writing it, it's kind of like, okay, what's what's the main point here? How am I going to explain it? Things like that. Almost like a system of how I'm going to tackle it really helps. And, you know, finishing like a small part makes me feel like, it uh, gives me that like kind of boost of confidence. Like, yes, I got this part done. So now I can do the second part. Or at least it makes me feel like, okay, I'm, I'm working towards it. And I don't get as much of that anxiety of like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, it's coming. <laughs> yeah. Then the other thing, I think... With food, I had a lot, again, like my mom went from kind of feeding me to get me to gain weight to the opposite of like, there were times where like uh, she would like in public, she'd be like, hey, like don't take so much food or she would like take something off my plate and that really, really stuck with me. So now like I notice I have some triggers with food. Like if I'm out and I have the opportunity to get uh, usually, especially like junk food or something I enjoy, I almost feel like I have to get it. Cause I don't, I won't have an opportunity like that. You know, it's almost like, like, I feel like a, like an animal that like found something like I need to hide it. <laughs> I need to eat it quickly while I can. That's definitely something that's like triggering. And um, other than that, I mean, there's some smaller triggers that I can't really think of, but I know there are times that like something happens, I guess even like uh, when somebody calls me, like I get stressed about calls cause it's like, ah, what do I have to deal with now? Like, especially when I'm working, it's like, you know, I'm trying to stay focused because if I break my focus, I'll get distracted, go off and do something else. So getting a call, it's like, I want to answer, but it's like, I'm so scared to get distracted that it adds to the anxiety, like, oh crap, I'm going to have to talk for like 10 minutes and forget what I was doing. I'm sure there are other ones that I can't quite think of or identify right now, but mm. those are the main ones. What's the best book, or as I call it on the podcast, Sergey, mental health Bible you've read for your mental health? Now, it can be mental health related, but it doesn't exclusively have to be. I haven't really read anything related to that, actually. Uh, uh, I've read a, like a self-help book kind of thing. It was uh, Atomic Habits. That really helped me. It doesn't really, I might be wrong. I read it last year. It doesn't at all address mental health. Right. It's just about making your habits better. But I think figuring out how to get those tests done, which were a source of my anxiety, really helped deal with my mental health. It kind of put into perspective, like, I can't get these things done. I, I can't do this. And from there, it had an effect of helping my mental health. I don't know. I, I have never really read any mental health help books or anything like that. I mean, I, I've studied like psychology and stuff. And I feel like studying psychology kind of helped me understand myself better, which is actually what my wife is kind of doing. She wants to pursue psychology in university. And it uh, it's like the more I learn about it, the more I understand and the better I feel that it's, uh, it's not the scary unknown thing. It's like, no, it's it's studied, it's recorded, people know about this, they know that it's a thing that you can deal with, you know, it helps me put in perspective of like, this is an issue I can deal with. It's not some intangible force that I can't do anything about. And as a final question, what more do you think we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds, all walks of life feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues, or just their general mental health, if they want to do it? Yeah, I think... You know, for myself, uh, being a man with mental health, there was definitely a big part of it. Of like, well, I'm a man, I'm supposed to be tough. Like, if I talk about mental health, it's because I'm weak or somebody will see me as weak or something. I think just changing the attitude towards that is important on every level. I mean, it's not like you're going to say, you know, change your attitude and everybody's going to be good about it and fix it. It's uh, I just think the way we talk about things, it shouldn't be seen as a bad thing. Like, it sucks. It's not something you want to deal with or talk about, but it's reality. You know, it should be treated the same as, like, physical illness. I think it just needs to be more normalized uh, for men to talk about it, especially. Clearly, there's a big issue with men and mental health, you know, like suicide rates and things like that going up. I just think more resources need to be focused on dealing with it. 
more resources need to be directed at helping people and giving uh, a way to maybe even not directly deal with it, but at least de-stress or have uh, someone to talk to, you know. Definitely uh, it's getting better, but it's also still very much not dealt with. Uh, I think there needs to be a lot more funding and government helps, like um, dedicating more of um, medical institutes to focus on this. Because uh, I just think it's becoming more known, more public, right? But it's also such a small focus. It's barely like given any attention to, I think, compared to other things, especially for men, it feels like. I just think uh, making it more accessible, easier, and removing the stigma from it is like the most important things we can do. It's a great way to end. Sergei Slipchenko, thank you so much for coming on the Just Checking podcast and talking to me, mate. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this episode of the Just Checking In podcast. I want to say a big thank you to Sergey for being my special guest on this episode's pod and for checking in with me. I also want to say a thank you to friend of the pod, Jake Hamrahan, for interviewing Sergey on his podcast, Popular Front, where I discovered Sergey's story. So please go and listen to that too if you get a chance. I will put a link to where you can follow Sergey, the Kiev Independent, and links where you can provide monetary support to the humanitarian effort in Ukraine in the show notes. I hope this episode is a very, very small way of me doing something to amplify the voices involved in this conflict and show you listeners the humans behind the headlines you see every day. I'll sign us off by saying if you've liked what you've heard, please give it a share on social media. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. If you're feeling generous, write us a review and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you like what we're doing here at Vent and want to support us further, you can go to our Patreon. That's at www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk. Or if you don't want to do that, you can make a one-off donation to our GoFundMe. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember, guys, it is always okay to vent. Vent.